The old people of God said amen. amen. How blessed of God we are to again be in this place, to be at this particular time, to know today that we are not here by accident, nor are we here by some cosmic coincidence. But it is God through his divine providence that again allows our destinies to intertwine. We thank God for the marvelous gift of his son, Jesus the Christ, who is both Savior and Lord. I uh, come from a tradition of interaction. I was going to tell uh, the worship leader that, that we sit down most of the service, and then during the sermon, we stand up quite a bit, <laughs> if, if we do it right, if we do it right. I am honored to be here. Thank you, Dr. Glower, for that wonderful introduction. Uh, I, was, I was trying to be strong and a big boy and you did that and I had to lay my head on Ken's shoulder and start crying. Thank you for being so gracious. Uh, I said in his class this morning, Dr. Hewlett Glor says more stuff by accident than most of us say on purpose. <laughs> he is an incredible gift. What a delight, uh, Dean. What a delight to be here in the staff and those who join with me in both the blessing and the burden of preaching. This past Sunday, I celebrated 33 years of preaching, uh, the preaching ministry, and starting Sunday, I'll be celebrating 12 years as senior pastor at the Antioch Church. And what a glorious bridge this is, this, this time uh, to be with you is a true joy. Uh, you've met the members of my church. Let me have uh, those members of the Antioch Church who attend here if they would stand, those who are seminary students and are members of Antioch Church. Amen. Thank you so much. And some of my preacher friends are here, uh, and friends from the community. If you would stand, I'd like to recognize you. Amen. What a delight to be back and to be back at the seminary and to be here. Some of my dearest friends in the world are your uh, professors. I, uh, I was afraid when uh, Dr. Glore was saying about um, I love to be in the pulpit and he doesn't know of any place I'd rather be. I was just waiting on Todd Steele to say 75 degrees golf course, golf course, golf course. <laughs> Thank you for saving my information, friend. Dr. Reed is one of the members of our church, so you would think that I must be just at least a little bit insane to come and to stand before he and Dr. Tucker and to talk about an Old Testament passage, but such then is my lot. One of my favorite experiences here at Truett was to hear Calvin Miller. As Dr. Miller was sharing, Dr. Miller told of an experience he had with his wife. He said that he and his wife had gone out scuba diving, and as they were scuba diving, they had so much fun, frolicking in the water, seeing uh, beneath the surface, getting to see so much. He said they had gone out, uh, and as they were out, he said it dawned on them that they were actually snorkeling and when he saw someone who had on real scuba gear. And he said he had gotten so caught up in the fun he was having until he saw somebody in scuba gear. And he realized there was a whole nother world at a deeper level that he was not equipped to see. 
I'm concerned because much of the preaching that I see around this country are people who are content to snorkel when there's a whole nother world that we ought to be seeing. Those of you who are here in seminary, you're, you're being equipped with the tools. And my challenge to you, my plea, my prayer today is that you will not be comfortable snorkeling to scratch out just a word for next week with the hope that you will be liked, endeared to your people, maybe compensated well. See, a true prophet is concerned more than just about his congregation. He or she speaks to their generation. And I've come today to ask you to join me as we allow God to speak his heart through our voices. Now, lesson today, we pick up on Ezekiel, this, this marvelous passage, Ezekiel 32, 37, this narrative where Ezekiel begins by telling us that he was seized, snatched by the hand of God. He was taken out, and once you were taken out, you never go back in the same way. He is seized by, by, by the Spirit and placed in a valley. Ezekiel says, those of us who are going to be prophetic, we, we, we've got to learn that sometime God will call us to make a painful assessment. In my tradition, when we talk about the Spirit, we talk about mountaintops. When we are in the Spirit, we go to the mountain, we have a great time. But Ezekiel says that he has snatched, God's hands are laid upon him, and by the Spirit, not on the mountain, but he is placed in a valley. As he looks around this valley, he sees this extended dilemma. They're very dry. This expanded destruction, many bones. He says as he looks here, the text would remind us not only of this extended dilemma, this ex expanded destruction, but it is extensive division because they are not connected. We often look for the Spirit to take us to places where we can celebrate. We look for the Spirit to take us to those places of joy. Oh, how we love to get those calls on Sunday. Man, we were in the Spirit. Much of our preaching is designed around mountaintop experiences. The truth of the matter is that real fruit grows in the valley. And there are times when God calls those of us who are to be prophets to see the situations as they are. As a matter of fact, if Brugman is right, when we read the prophets, we read their poetry of how they painted the difficulty of their day. And those of us who God has called to preach, we must see our situation and understand that God does not give us the option to change it. All the training you receive in your undergrad to have those great words, sometimes you have to say that they were very dry. He's not permitted to change it. Can you imagine the dishonor? The Jewish culture takes very seriously the bones of their dead. They, they place them among their fathers. As a matter of fact, Joseph says to them in that 50th chapter of Genesis, when you leave the promised land, you make sure that you don't leave my bones here. As a matter of fact, as they journeyed, they not only carried the Ark of the Covenant, they carried the sarcophagus, the bones of those who had died. But here they are left. Oh, no, we don't know what happened. 
they are left. But the prophet by the spirit is made to examine this situation. He couldn't stand and say, well, maybe they're not doing that well. Maybe it's been a, a difficult time. He was not permitted to give a nice bend on it. And sometimes, uh, my young brothers and sisters, God expects that the assessment we give is a difficult one so that those who will hear us will be moved to do better. Our, our generation wants us to know that you're okay, I'm okay. And I, I, I do not make light of people who have the power of positive thinking. I don't make light. I think there's a place in the kingdom for sermons that make us feel good. But I think there's a greater place in the kingdom for sermons that make us see our own dishonor and make us work to be better. Yeah. On an experience right here at Truett, we had Fred Craddock. As a matter of fact, the first day I preached in class, Fred Craddock had, was on the speaking chapel. Imagine going to your class after that. <laughs> Called some of my friends and said, I need you to pray for me. I said, why? I said, Fred Craddock is preaching in chapel, and my class is so tough until Joel Gregory is the worship leader. That's, that's a tough preaching track there. But on that day, Dr. Hewlett Glower asked me to assist him to the pulpit. I wonder why he picked me out of all the students. He had just that his sickness was relatively new at that time, and it dawned on me that when the people saw us coming together, they wouldn't know who was helping whom. But, <laughs> but he came to introduce Fred Craddock, and he asked me to walk him to the pulpit. And I got him to the pulpit, I stood by him, and I said, what do you want me to do now? He said, nothing, you've done good. Step back and let me do the rest. God expects for you to be the vehicle by which he walks to the pulpit. And with all of your intellect, with all of your kind words, don't change. Walk him to the pulpit. Get him to the mic. Step back and let him do the rest. It's a painful assessment. But then he introduces us to the prophetic assignment. What is the assignment of the prophet? God asks him, son of man, shall these bones live? And he's in a dilemma now because if he answers too fast, if he says no, he'll indict God's integrity. If he says yes, he'll insult his own intelligence. And it is the prophet's job to weigh weighty questions. It is the prophet's job to ponder the difficult experiences of life to weigh because you will soon discover that there are some questions you don't rush I'm always leery for people who have answers to all the questions. He says, son of man, shall these bones live? And when we weigh really weighty questions, we come to the conclusions that there are some questions only God can answer. Don't, don't feel, don't feel, don't feel as you weigh weighty questions that you've got to have all the answers. He said, he said, Lord, you alone can answer this because sometimes God's assignment for us isn't to find the right answers. It's to help our people raise the right questions. 
Sometimes they need to know that there are some questions you can't answer because they can go to the God. Son of man, shall these bones live? Lord, thou knowest. And your job is to weigh weighty questions. The reason you've come to this seminary to be equipped is so that you can wrestle with weighty questions, not give quick answers. God's okay. You're okay. Not, not get those trite cliches, let go and let God, but to weigh them, to spend some time. Lord, thou knowest. God says, you're right. And then he says that the prophet's, the prophet's assignment isn't just to weigh weighty questions, but the prophet's, assi- the prophet's assignment is to speak to human brokenness. Sp- speak to these bones. Now, I got to tell you, that's a revival I wouldn't want to be invited to. Lord, where will the choir be? You won't get one. Well, surely I'll get a praise team. No, that your job is to speak to human brokenness. And the interesting thing about God is that God gets us familiar because who wouldn't want the power of Ezekiel 37? But the way he became the power of 37 is he had to go to the pain of chapter 3. I didn't, I didn't major in math, but I do think three comes before 37. In, 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 in chapter three, he is snatched away from a comfortable life. Goes by the river Kibar there in Tel Aviv, the mound of the Luge, and sits with the people as they sat. And can I tell you that when you get past, of all, when you get past all the other stuff that we get to do as preacher pastors, it is sitting where they sit that allows us to be intimately familiar with human pain. In chapter 3, he is snatched away, goes there, sits with the people as they deal with pain. In chapter 24, God says, your wife is going to die, and I still want you to preach. We know human pain because we know it intimately, and when you know it intimately, you can speak to it intimately. In his book, The Wounded Healer, Henry Nowen says that uh, Thomas didn't ask to see Jesus. And John Thomas asked to see Jesus' wounds because it was the wounds of Jesus that validated the words of Jesus. And when people watch how you handle your wounds, they will hear your words. My wife and I were riding together, and as we were riding by at the Central Texan Marketplace, there was a great big rock, and they were breaking that rock. And I, I said to my wife, it, it, would, it would look that a rock that big could be used for so much more. She said, yeah, but they can't effectively use it until they've broken it into pieces. God does not mean to harm you. You feel the chisel of his wheel working to break you down. I learned far more in the school of suffering than I ever did in the College of Comfort. We are to speak to human brokenness. But then he said, speak to the wind. We speak to human brokenness, but the prophet also speaks to divine power. And you must know, you must know who you are and for whom you speak. You speak for the king. Speak to the wind. We have been empowered to speak to divine power. And I'm troubled because so much of what I see when people talk about preaching, he is just a preacher. Here in the academy, in, in other, in other uh, areas of, of the academy, people tend to say, oh, 
he's in theology. Oh, oh, he's just a preacher. Now, my other son, he's a doctor. My, my, my daughter, she's an attorney. But, but that other daughter, she's just a missionary. Well, let, let me tell you, let me tell you, and I do not apologize for this. My, my, my lawyer operates in the courtroom. I, I've never gone to have a surgery, and he was there. My doctor is in the operating room. I go to see him. In the room. I don't see him when I go to court, but I am a pastor. When they face the uncertainty of a scapels, uh, of a surgeon's scalpel, they say, Pastor, will you pray? When that child is facing an uncertain future because of some mistake that he made, Pastor, will you show up and be a witness? I, I baptize their children into the faith. I, 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 I pronounce the blessing of marriage over their, over, their, uh, over their weddings. Even death parks her icy chariot and waits until I say ashes to ashes and dust to dust. I speak for the king. Those of us who are prophets must know that when we speak divine power, I'm sorry, I thought I was at my church. I, some people still me. I, I, I speak for the king. And when I speak, the king moves. You must know. And, and that's our dilemma. That, that's our dilemma. We're forced to straddle two worlds. We, we're, we're, we're forced to speak to human pain that we know intimately not. But we're forced to speak to divine power that is infinitely high. And you must have both the faith and the authority when you stand to declare a prophetic word. You must believe. What you say is true. Dr. D.W. Daniels, who was the president of our convention, tells the story of when he was a boy growing up in Arkansas that he saw some people with some bottles and they were carrying milk. And Dr. Daniels said, he asked him, where are y'all getting the milk? He said, well, the refrigeration has gone out in the dairy and they're giving away milk. People had their bottles. He said he ran home and got a bucket. And on the way back, someone asked him, what are you doing with that bucket? He said, well, I figure if he can fill your bottle, he can fill my bucket. And you must have the faith to say that God can fill both bottles and buckets. A final word, and I will bid you good morning. Says a word about this painful assessment. Says a word about his prophetic assignment. But it concludes with a word about the possibilities of Balaam. Speak. He said when he spoke, why, why do we bother? Why, why do we stand when sometimes when we're standing, people are finishing, balancing their checkbook? When we stand, sometimes they, they tell us that they're taking notes on their iPads, but, but they're really getting to the next level of Candy Crush. Um, <laughs> we stand because of the possibilities available. That when we speak, there is the possibility of restoration that disconnected bones come together. I like that eclectic dialect that the old preacher said where I'm from, that, that the foot bone got connected to the ankle bone. The ankle bone got connected to the shin bone. Shin bone got connected to the knee bone. Knee bone got connected to the thigh bone. It, it, is, it is that when we speak, broken pieces are brought back together, bone to bone. And you must stand knowing that the people to whom you speak, you speak restoration, that there are relationships that are broken 
But when you stand, the power of God brings back restoration. There are lives, there are people who have come that day with dreams shattered. There are people who, who have picked up the leftovers of their life and made their way to hear what you have to say. What, what does the king say about my broken spirit? What does the king say? There are some who've had to stand by graves that were as deep as love and as long as life. And they come to hear you. And when you stand, help to put the pieces back together. Not only do you speak a word of restoration, you speak a word of resurrection. Because the bones are put back together. They have form, but they don't have function. And when he speaks to the wind, life comes back anew. You, 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 you will permit me, my, my neighbor, Dr. Olson, is here, and I'm, I'm sure he can, he can correct me on my theology when I get back. But, but, but I think that resurrection is when you are standing on the other side of what was intended to take you out. Because the enemies of Jesus didn't understand that death did not kill him, death transformed him. Because a resurrected Christ was fought. They, they could have they handled a martyred Christ, but a res And somebody who is listening to me today, somebody is listening to me, you know the power of resurrection because there was something in your life that should have stopped you. Somebody listening to me today shouldn't even be, you shouldn't even be here right now. You shouldn't have been in seminary, but you are standing, you are evidence of resurrection because not only did bones come back together, but you just don't have form, you have function because you are on the other side of what should have taken you out. I bid you good day with this final word. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your attention. Let me conclude. I was coming back from the March on Washington. And as I was coming back from the March on Washington, I had to catch a flight from Virginia to Dallas and from Dallas to Austin. On the flight back from Austin, I was placed between two men. On the left side, there was a man who was playing with his iPad. He was playing checkers on his iPad. Uh, on the right side, there was a young man who was playing with his iPhone. He was playing solitaire. The man on the left with checkers, the young man on the right with an iPhone playing solid, solitaire. And as they continued to play, I noticed something different. That the man on the left side had gotten all the way down, his plays were gone. The only thing he had left was a king. And he continued to play from Austin all the, from, from Dallas to Austin with that king, he had run out of checkers, but he continued to play with the king because the king allowed him to make special moves and the king kept him in the game. I noticed that the young man on the right side of me, that whenever he had to start a new stack, he could only start over with the king. The reason I came today to plead for you to preach the prophetic is you have the words of the king and you get the good and glorious news to tell men, women, boys and girls that with the king you can stay in the game because the king can make special moves. That with the king when life is over you can start over because the king allows us to start over.